morning and happy Advent season. This is the second week of Advent and um, we have these candles up here representing different themes and we're incorporating that into our sermon series this week. And our theme last week was the theme of hope. And this week our theme is peace. So as we look at these candles and participate in traditional Christendom, we also want to look into the covenants. So we're going to braid this theme in with this Abrahamic covenant today and braid those things through and, and see how that applies to our lives. But when you look at these candles and you think about peace, um, definition in American culture and English language, we might say, well, peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Um, we might say that's um, the absence of conflict, of war. Um, in our Hallmark cards, we might look at the word peace and think, oh, a cozy cabin with hot chocolate and little demands, and I feel peaceful and happy and um, at rest. So we're hoping for, for those types of things when we think about it in English. But if we look at the biblical definition of peace, they use that word shalom. They even greet each other with shalom, shalom, shalom. And the definition of, sh of shalom or peace in the Bible is very much more weighty and, and significant than what we use it for in English. So. Shalom to them would quite literally be, may there be no holes in your wall. But what that meant was, may your boundaries be secure, may you have provision, may you have protection, may all of your relationships be secure, and may nothing be broken down. May there be no holes in your wall. May everything in your life be complete. This is shalom. This is what they're wishing and hoping for one another. So when we look at shalom or peace in the Advent season, we want to adopt that weightier meaning of what peace is, and we want to look for that. So as we study the covenants, we think, why are we studying covenants? But here's the thing about covenants. This is the backbone of the Bible. You can hop and skip through the Bible on stepping stones of the covenant and learn about what God is like through his promises to his people. I don't know if it's still a thing, um, but somebody told me one time, oh, have you DTR'd yet? Have you ever heard of DTR? So when a couple is dating, they might have this conversation. It's the DTR can conversation. It's define the relationship. It's like, do we like each other? Do we like like each other? Do we Are we hanging out? Are we just friends? Like, how do we define this? Really? Are we exclusive? Are we in a relationship? Are we dating? Now there are so many other, are we going steady? You know, that was a thing for me. Will you go with me? That was the thing in my day. But covenants are God's way of doing a DTR with his people. Because he likes to define the relationship with us. He says, I like like you. I want to go with you. I want to go steady with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to partner with you. And so covenants, when we look at it, it's like we're sitting down with God and he gets to define the relationship. What is our relationship like with God? So now as we're skipping through these covenants, we have to say, okay, what is a covenant? Because we don't use that term in our, our day very much. 
what is a covenant? The, the closest thing we can think of is the, a marriage covenant, an agreement, uh, a, a binding contract. But in ancient times, it was an agreement or a partnership for an ongoing benefit of both parties. So it was a very serious contract and commitment that you were entering into with another party for mutual benefit and exchange. So now, ancient covenants, biblical covenants, and like our marriage covenant, had several elements involved in them. So we're looking for um, an agreement. It is consequential, spiritual, lasting. It often includes oaths or sacrifices and a ceremony and signs. So those things and elements will be present to cue you into what is a covenant. So marriage is our go-to example. We take lifelong oaths to be faithful, to support and care for one another and seek to sin health. Till death do we part, we have a ceremony of some sort, and it usually has a sign like a ring or a certificate. It's legal, it's acknowledged by the government, it's relational, we become family with each other. It's spiritual. Christian marriages are often actually still referred to as a covenant. I'm going to covenant with you. I'm going to partner with you for lifelong benefit in front of God. And there are consequences. We all know and have seen how divorce or the breaking of this covenant brings destruction. So here are the elements of these covenants, and we're looking for this as we study the Word of God together. So I entered into marriage with Jim, and so I took on this ring, and that tells everybody as a sign of our covenant that I am married to Jim and faithful to him. Well, less of a ceremony, but I also entered into a covenant with Jesus to follow him, and that's a lifelong commitment to me. That is my mindset and my lifestyle that I entered in a covenant with him. And the faith is the bedrock and foundation of my identity and who I am um, for all of eternity. So uh, my kid's babysitter one time, I don't know if she gave it to them or my kids gave it to me or if she gave it to me, had this really cheap throwaway type of ring. But on it was etched faith, faith faith all the way around. And I said, you know what? This would be a really good thing. I not only want to have a ring or a sign of my covenant with Jim, I want to have a ring and a sign of my covenant with Jesus. So it's really interesting over the years, this ring, I don't take it off any more than I take off this ring. I just wear it. It's there. It, it's significant to me. But those etched words are wearing away because I wear it so much. And it's becoming shiny hasn't turned my finger green, which I'm really grateful for because I, it was, I don't think, purchased at a jewelry store, very valuable. But this is my sign of my covenant with Jesus. So now whereas we studied and we talked about the hope that came last week through the Noahic covenant, Noah, Noahic, um, and, and God's promise to Noah that he would not destroy the world in a flood. And that gives us hope. And Jesus is saying, and God is saying to us, I'm going to define the relationship with you, and I'm going to say that I will provide a way of escape for your destruction. You have hope 
to escape death and destruction. That was the hope of the Noahic covenant. Now we're flipping the page and we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant. This is a fundamental covenant, and we'll see why. Because now God is not only promising that and the hope of not being destroyed, but he's now giving us and Abraham the promise that he will restore and give blessing to and add to that hope that we won't be destroyed. Okay, good. You escaped destruction. What's next? What's next is this restoration. So, we are now going to really fast bring you up to the story to this very strange passage that I'm going to read you today. So once upon a time, 4,000 years ago, in a land far, far away, in the middle of a desert, in a people that spoke another language, you can look around and see ziggurats and these old worship things. It's a land of pantheism. This land called Ur was where a man named Abraham lived. His name was Abram at that time, but... This land would later be called Babylon. In fact, it was only 10 miles from Babylon. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about exiles that came from Babylon back to the promised land. Well, this guy that we're talking about today lived 2,000 years before that, 1,500 years before that, and he lived in that land. And also, if you study the beginning of creation and the Garden of Eden, you will see that it is formed and located near two rivers, which is right kind of where Babylon and the land of Ur are. And today, that land is called Iraq. So here we are in this place that we still know of today. We still know this place. But it's 4,000 years ago. So we live 2,000 years. 2023 is our next year. That's how far away or ahead of Jesus' day that we are. Well, Abram lived 2,000 years before that. So we are talking 4,000 years ago. And when I think of this place, what I see in my brain is Star Wars. I see the desert, I see this weird people speaking a weird language, wearing weird clothes. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think of it as a civilization like ours or a culture like ours, and they're just camping more. But really, it's a very strange and ancient culture. So when we read this scripture and we read this story and we scratch our head and skip over the parts that are like, what the heck? We need to understand a little bit more about how they did things and their culture and their way. So the gods of these days in this ancient culture with these Star Wars people in the desert, they believed in lots of different gods. And gods were usually, they had a really robust relationship with the unseen world, this people, this ancient people. And their gods had specialties. Fertility, the sun, the moon, light, prosperity, super into the elements, fire and wind. They had uh, health, a god for health, a god for protection. They had gods of regions, big gods over great regions, and then smaller areas and towns and villages. And then you could be sponsored or adopt a god for your family. 
Who would protect you? So entering in, and when Abram had his first conversation with God, it would have been very natural for his culture in his day, in this ancient place, for him to say, absolutely, I will accept you as my God. Absolutely, you're going to sponsor me, you're going to bless me, you're going to benefit me. So God partners with Abram. But Abram won the lottery because it wasn't a little G God that came and wanted to partner with Abram. It was big G God. It was the God of the universe. It was the only one true God. It was the God, the creator. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to bless you, give you a land and make you great. And all peoples will be blessed through you. And so God partners with Abram and he says this, Come, go to a land that I will show you. So Abram said, you're going to sponsor me? He went. It's a very simple exchange. But here's the thing. As the Israelites went from Babylon back to Egypt, we talked in our Ezra-Nehemiah series that that journey would have taken them four months. They can't go straight line. It would have been through the desert. Everybody would have been wiped out. You're taking children, livestock, animals. You've got to live off the land and live off the animals while you journey. You go take more northern route. Takes about four months. You walk about halfway through. They settle for a time. And God comes to him again. And he says, I am going to give you descendants and a land, and I'm going to make your name great. And at this point in time, he's been wandering for 12 years now, and none of that has happened. They haven't landed in a land, and they haven't gotten descendants. He's 75 years old. He's not a young buck. He's like, how is this going to happen to me? And he's wandering for a great amount of time. I don't know if that's cultural for you and me, but when we read a story and 15 years has gone by and this God who sponsored you at the late age of 75 still hasn't done anything or given you provision that he promised you after 12 years, I don't know. I don't know if I think I picked the right God. That really hadn't happened. But in our culture in our day, we're saying, no, we need to partner with God to make my life better right now to get the provision and the blessing and the strength and everything that's happening right now. So the patience and the faith that that Abram exhibited, sticking with God and his promises up until this point. But now we're coming to our passage. So there is a time he's come from Ur, he's halfway to the promised land. He's getting there. And God and Abram have a conversation. Let's read the strange story today. It's found in Genesis 15. We'll be reading verses 4 through 21. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Abram. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, God took Abram outside, and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, 
Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain, for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward... They will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. This is God's word, and it's his promise. And if we're honest and we read it in American English, it's kind of written in code. We went, good for Abram. Sounds like a a good thing for him. I hope he was happy with that. But we need to break this down a little bit. God of the universe wants to partner with people. He gives them a promise, but there's a problem. There's a process before peace comes. So let's break this down. Um, God wants to partner with people. I grew up in Southern California. My family was kind of a Dodgers fan. I didn't know exactly where that came from. We just went to baseball games, all of our extended family. This was my dad's mom, and she, in her old age, gray hair, wore this Dodgers uh, ball cap, and we went to Dodgers and go big blue, and and at, at the... Um, Seventh inning stretch, I would get a chocolate ice cream. We would have to wait that long before we got that. But what I found out later was the reason we were Dodgers fans was not because we were born into being Dodger fans. The reason we were Dodger fans is because my aunt, when she was a teenager, came home and announced that she was pregnant out of wedlock. And her soon-to-be husband was not really a talker. And he was uh, from Mexican descent, and I don't know if there was a language barrier at that point in time, but he just wouldn't say much of anything, and he was very hard to get to know. But when it came to Dodger statistics and Dodger facts, he was a fountain of information and conversation. So my granny endeavored to learn everything she could about the Dodgers so that she could speak to her new son-in-law. And she spoke to him in a way that she could understand. And our whole family culture changed because she wanted to welcome him into the family in a way that he could understand. And that is how God did, that chokes me up, that is how God did with that ancient culture. He wanted to partner with those people. 
and he presented himself in a way that they could understand. So, the promise that God gave Abraham, it is he doubles down. After 12 years, he says, I am going to give you a land and a family. So descendants in ancient times, we might have said, hey, what if he didn't want to have kids? You know, sometimes we don't have that option. Or maybe he didn't want to have as many as the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea. But for ancients, although they were very aware of the invisible world, they didn't talk much about an afterlife. Their existence, their identity, and their security came both through their ancestors and through their descendants. So if you didn't have descendants, you would poof, cease to exist. Your legacy would be wiped out. To give him descendants and to say that he was going to his ancestors validated what he knew to be true. And, and God's power to establish him for eternity. And then the second thing, land was the equivalent of your provision, your security, your identity, your significance, your importance. And your land and your family would start to make a culture, just like the Dodger fans. And that culture would be respected both for its physical boundaries in a land and for the culture among those people. So God was starting a new thing. He says, I am going to partner with you, Abraham. I'm going to partner with you, and I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you a people, and this is your blessing. So now, what is the process? So here's where it gets a little sticky. So he went, and he wandered, and he waited, and he wondered to God what would he do for him? So when God said, when he said, how do I know? God, he, Abram believed him. It was counted to him as righteousness. But he said, so how am I going to know that what you're promising me is going to happen? Well, back in the day, they didn't have a notary republic. These covenants were the way they made contracts with, among people. But God's never made binding contracts with people. In fact, in the most ancient writings, what they usually find is laments for ancient people who said, you know what, we're so sick of these gods who don't provide for us, they don't protect us, they don't establish us, even though they promised us they would. But people made covenants with people. And oftentimes it was a king or a lord or someone who was powerful who would make a contract or a covenant with somebody who was lesser than, a servant. And they said, come into my land, come and have a binding agreement with me, and I will take care of you and you will serve me. So when that ceremony or covenant was proposed, it was seal the deal by grabbing some animals and cutting them in half. Makes signing a contract sound a lot easier, right? So cutting those in half, those animals in half, and making half the cow here, half the cow there, half the goat here, half the goat there, half the ram here, half the ram there, bird, 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 bird. It's a bloody mess. I mean, you've got this bloody aisle of carcasses, and then the birds come, and, and Abram's shooing them away. And, but Abram knows that this is how we make a covenant. And now, in order for this covenant to be ratified, both parties need to walk through this covenant and, and say, may it be to me as these animals, dead, 
destroyed if I break my covenant with you. So it was a serious deal to enter into a covenant among people. But here's the thing. God's never made covenants with people. In that day, gods were far above that. It was just people who made covenants with people. God's never made covenants with people. So when God said, when Abram said, how will I know? God says, go get the animals. Go get the animals. And so when he went the animals, Abram said, this God is going to make a covenant with me. Well, sometimes the king and both parties would walk through. Other times, the king was too important to walk through and take the covenant, and just the servant would have to do that. The king was above it. But in this story, we see that Abram falls asleep, and God puts him to sleep. And God makes a covenant of this promise to Abram's descendants, and he says, only I, the greater, the God, I'm going to walk through this covenant and make this covenant with you, Abram. Me, I am going to do this. And how did he represent himself? He came to him as a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Now, I don't know, I think little pot, little torch, but even if it's a little pot, little torch, little fire, little smoke, it's floating and passing through this thing. This was like some, some kind of epic, monumental, miraculous vision and sign that Abram is somewhat witnessing. And Abram is, is over there, and God puts him to sleep. But a deep despair and darkness falls over Abram. And here is God promising to someone who is in despair and darkness that I will keep a covenant with you, Abram, and all of your ancestors and all of your descendants. I will keep this covenant with you. And not you are going to walk through it. I am going to walk through it. And may it be to me if I don't keep my word in this covenant and bring to you everything that I have declared to you, said the Lord. So when we unpack what this meant to Abram, this was a jaw-dropping moment for this smoke and fire Bible quiz. When, was, when, when else did God come in a cloud and a fire? We think of the Israelites walking out into the desert and God represented in a cloud and a fire. But think of those ancient brains. Those ancient gods often presented themselves in the elements. So this would have been something that Abram could understand. This was his dodger moment. He's like, I understand this. I can talk about this. I get this. So the peace came through the promise of the covenant. Do you realize that it's going to be another 12 years before Isaac is born to Sarah? 99 years old. No possible way that this promise could happen. So it wasn't I'm going to double down and renew this covenant with you, and then the next day, things start happening. It was another wait and wander season for Abram, and believing in the promises of God, and believing in his generosity. So now let's fast forward 2,000 years. When Jesus is sitting at dinner with his disciples, 
His disciples were likely teenagers. I call it the disciple youth group. It is a bunch of boys, actually. Maybe one or two were in their early 20s, but these were teenagers. And Jesus came to these Jewish guys that had followed him for three years and watched his ministry. And these are Jewish boys that were trained in the Torah that knew this covenant of Abraham. And they knew, and they called him their father, Abraham. And here's Jesus at dinner. On the night that he was betrayed, he took into his holy hands the bread. And he broke it in two pieces. And he held it out to them. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. And these boys immediately would have thought back to that day of Abraham. They immediately would have said, the covenant, the covenant of Abraham, you are here to keep it. All of those years that we have failed in the wilderness, all of those years that we failed in exile, the years of silence, and Ezra and Nehemiah where we tried to get it back together and keep our end of the covenant, and God is saying, you were never going to keep your side of the covenant. Only I walked through. And Jesus came as the human representative to endure the consequences of that covenant that God made with Abram that long ago. This is one story, unified, leading to Jesus, of which we are still a part we are sons and daughters of Abraham. I don't want to break the mood, but I used to sing as a child, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, turn around, sit down. That's the way we used to sing. But now when I read this, I say, oh, wait. The covenants are made with an eternal God who took on the consequences of every covenant, but the blessings of every covenant are eternal and apply to every one of his children. You are written into an eternal will of God the Father, and you have blessings. And when we study the covenant and the covenant blessings, you get to see into the will, into what you are entitled to have. And so you are going to be beneficiaries of a land and a people. So now, when Jesus was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you, and this is the new covenant in my blood. And it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and the sun stopped shining, and a curtain of the temple was torn in two. The darkness that had been on Abram when he was put to sleep, asleep in despair and darkness, was transferred onto Jesus. The light of the world took on the darkness of humanity. He absorbed that for us so that we no longer have to live in darkness, that we have seen a great light because he took on the punishment of sin for us all. So Jesus, knowing that all these things were accomplished, said, It is finished. It is complete. 
Shalom. I have bought for you everything that you need. I am restoring and rebuilding the wall so that there will be no holes in it. I have given you everything that you need. So now what does that mean for us? God partners with us. God partnered with Abram. He promised Abram there was a problem. There was a process. So we have a promise as well. So Jesus is preparing a new heaven and a new earth. We are promised a land. And if we look around, we say, well, this is pretty sometimes, but this isn't it. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me, and I believe, believe in God and also believe in me. In my Father's house, there has many rooms. Bible nerd sideline, this is the same room word room for all of the treasury rooms of the temple where they kept all the precious gold. So when, when God, when Jesus is saying in my house there are many rooms, he's not saying you get your own bedroom. He's saying, no, 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 no. In my father's house are many rooms of treasures, of wealth, of everything, abundance, over and exceeding. He's not putting us in time out in a really stylish new bedroom. He's saying, I've given you everything. All the wealth of the kingdom is yours. If it were not true, would I have not told you so? And so if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. So peace is restored. Our peace is restored with God. He endures the curses, and the blessing is ours. Jesus is our older brother, our king's kinsman redeemer he is the one that has bought this for us and now we are in a family of god we say family on mission no truer words if we knew the weight of it if we knew the identity that we had in it the security the protection the history the connection we would be overwhelmed with the honor of being in the family of god and we are to be a blessing for all nations. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship at the throne. We are the prophets of the new covenant. We get to declare the word of God. So he blessed them with a land and a kingdom. And we have to imagine that God is still going to restore the Garden of Eden and everything that he intended man we are physical beings we're made for a physical place god made matter and he called it good and he placed us in the middle of a garden with work to do somebody said that work is like sorting halloween candy it's not work work you know sweat of your brow work it's the fun like here's all the wealth you get to store sort it distribute it eat it enjoy it this is your identity and your passion we're made for that and god is going to give us a physical place to be even heaven is described in revelation with dimensions and substance and colors the presence of god is going to be reunited heaven and earth will be reunited some days we need to take heart that that is going to happen if you have an idea in your head that heaven is floating in worship music and clouds elevate your imagination it is way more than you can imagine or think if you love a beautiful sunset if you love the ocean if you love physical things because you're a physical being run down that track for a while and say lord how will this be i believe but how will this be inspire my imagination for what my inheritance will be 
So our problem, like Abram, we wait and we wander and we wonder, when will this shalom come to our earth? Come on. We're looking around and we said, there's still holes in the wall. There's sickness and Ill illness in my family. There are people who are not established in the family of God. It's a hole in the wall. I'm looking around for things that are broken. Mission is hard. I'm married to a missionary. I'm on mission with him. Many of you are on mission and consider yourselves following Jesus with all of your heart and vocation. It is hard. It's very difficult because we see there are holes in us. We're not able to complete shalom. I can't patch the walls fast enough. I don't have what it takes. So this is the problem. And even Hebrews 11 says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And we are welcoming the kingdom of God from a distance. But our process is to believe and build the kingdom while we wait. We are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by believing in God's promises to us. And God said, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you know in Matthew 5 that it can be translated two ways? It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God, the land. It's also interpreted, blessed are the peace, shalom bringers, the peacemakers, because they will be called children of God, family. Do you see the amazing honor God has bestowed on us? by the promises that come with his kingdom and with his sacrifice for us. So, we have the authority now to partner with the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and to recovery sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. And to proclaim, this is the year of the Lord's favor. The work that we are doing now in mission is not overlooked. We, we do this work of building peace into our society, into our culture, into people, setting people free. Because this is the work of the kingdom and it is eternal. It is lasting. So true belief has a mindset and a lifestyle. God said to Abram, go. And he went. And he said, how will this happen? And God credited his belief, his action, even his wandering and his wondering as faith and righteousness. So when we go, we are operating in the same belief as Abram when we follow God. So James 2 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself is not accomplished by action. It's dead. So our action and our lifestyle will mirror what we believe. Those things are paired. So our peace, we have the guarantee of shalom, all would be completed. So Maranatha means, remember what Steve said, Christ has come. Christ will come, so come. And just like that, we can say,
peace, shalom, has come to Abram when God said, I will walk through and take on all the curses and all the punishment. Peace has come in Jesus when he did that act that he promised to do. And peace will come when he builds ultimate shalom. And so our prayer is peace come, Prince of Peace come. We need shalom. We want to partner with you to build shalom in our day. So what are you waiting for? Is there something that seems far off that was promised? Tell him. Wonder with him. And follow him. So do you feel like you're wandering? Do you slip yourself into the story and you feel like, I'm wandering in the desert. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where my life is. I don't know what my purpose, my identity is. Trust in his generosity. Encounter Jesus and trust him that everything in those rooms of heaven belongs to you, that you are written into the Lamb's Book of Life and you are written into the will and you have all of the resources of heaven to accomplish the purposes on earth. And do you see the holes? Have God, has God given you a broken heart for something? to bring shalom to. Is that your calling? Sit with the Lord. Follow him in where he leads because he wants to build shalom through you and with you. Amen.